church this morning, Jeremiah Morris is going to be speaking. Jeremiah is the pastor, the founding pastor of a church down in the city near Memorial Park called Seven Mile Road from Luke 24. And the church has been going about 16 months. Jeremiah has spoken here before, one of my favorite young pastors in the city. In fact, about a month ago, Peter Kim spoke, if you were here, did a fabulous job. Peter's on the staff of Jeremiah. Jeremiah and his wife Ashley have three young boys. In fact, they're driving to Georgia this afternoon. God help them. Jeremiah, would you come and give, please give him a warm welcome. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Jeff. Always a privilege to be here. Um, I got to say it last time. I'll say it again this time now that Jeff is here to hear it, but he has been a dear friend and mentor and coach to me. I love Jesus more as a result of, of knowing Jeff Wells, your pastor. So it's, it's always a privilege to get to serve alongside of him here. So thanks for having me today, Jeff. And thanks to all of you, even though it was, I guess, more Jeff's decision than yours, but thanks for having me. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Uh, I have been a sucker for a good detective uh, story since I was young. I love the idea of solving a mystery. It probably started when I was young with Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? I loved Scooby-Doo when I was young. I read Hardy Boys books. I graduated to Sherlock Holmes at one point. I just, anything that had a mystery to be solved was something that I wanted to be a part of. And so I love these sorts of stories. And this morning, what I'd like to do is invite all of you into an adventure of solving a mystery with me. Of, of becoming detectives and searching for, for clues to figure out a mystery. And this mystery is, is about a character in the Old Testament. I think as we solve this mystery, it's important for our own souls and our own stories. The character is a man named Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And I believe that his story is a mystery. And this is the reason. He was a man with outrageous potential. We're introduced to him in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And when we're introduced to him, we're told that he was a man that was head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. He was the most handsome man in Israel. He was from a particular family that was very wealthy. And he is anointed by the prophet Samuel. Samuel anoints him and tells him, you're going to conquer all of your enemies. And in fact, you're going to be the first king of Israel. If you talk about having an upside, about having a bright future and a strong resume, this guy's it. Tall, handsome, rich, and he's got the blessing and uh, anointing of God on his life. Yet, if you then skip from the beginning of the story to the end, what you read about the end of Saul's story is this. He's demoralized, defeated, and afraid. He falls on his own sword in battle. He is then subsequently decapitated by his enemies. His armor is stripped from his body and it is hung in foreign temples as a statement that our idols have conquered their God. It's what you call landing with a thud, a story that is startling and stunning in the way that it comes to a conclusion. And the question is, how does a man with such great potential end there? That's the mystery that I'd like to begin to try to unravel together. And I just want us to own this fact together today that we're paying attention to how one would squander all of their potential. And we need to own up to this fact that that, that could very easily be our story. If it could happen to Saul, 
it can happen to me. There is no guarantee that my story, which has a relatively strong start, doesn't end with a thud. There's nothing that guarantees that I don't make shipwreck of my faith and my family and my ministry. When I look at a man that's anointed of God, has the, has the prophet of God speaking blessing over him and has everything going for him yet finishes in that place. And the truth is that's true for all of us. How many of us know friends, people that have been leaders, people who had a strong marriage and a good family from the outside looking in that now they're just kind of a proverb. People say, you remember that guy? would have never guessed that he would have walked out on his family like that or made shipwreck of his faith or given his ministry away for that foolish decision. We have so many of those stories, do we not? And the question that I wanna solve is how does one go about squandering their potential? If we can figure out the steps that lead that direction, maybe we could begin to articulate them one at a time and then say, we're not going that direction. Together by the grace of God, we're gonna run in a different direction. And so this morning, we're gonna take some initial steps in solving the mystery of King Saul as to how does one squander all of their potential? We're only gonna get to to the first clue of I would say about a half a dozen that emerge out of his life. We're gonna get to one this morning. And the first one that we're gonna see emerge out of his story is this. If you want to squander all of the potential that God has delivered to your life, be self-conscious. Think about yourself all the time. If you are self-conscious, you will be on the path to squandering your potential. I wanna prove that to you from the text and then I wanna talk about how we begin to unravel that in our own souls. So with that being said, I wanna direct our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're gonna pick up the story in verse one and and read a few verses throughout that chapter. Just before we did, permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. This means that everything in the physical world is currently coming undone, including our very bodies. We can feel it creaking in our bones. But when we come to the word of God, we're coming to something eternal and life-giving and powerful, and we would be really wise to pay attention. 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting in verse one, says this. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it on his head, that's Saul's head, and he kissed him. And he said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And then skipping down to verse 20 and the following verses, it says this. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulder upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people and all the people shouted, long live the king. The first thing is we begin to pay attention to this this mystery that is Saul's life. The first thing that we see emerge is this, God's call has a tremendous upside. 
God's call on a life has a tremendous upside, so high and so glorious that you can barely see the peak of it, where it could lead. That Saul is this man that is met by Samuel. Samuel is a famous prophet at this time, well-respected and known across Israel as being a man who speaks for God. A shock of white hair, a long beard, a leathery face, and he comes and he looks at Saul in the eyes and he says, listen, you have been marked out by God for great things. You will subdue all of God's enemies. He's getting the divine guarantee that you can't lose. You talk about a tremendous upside. You have been marked out to be king. It's you. This is where we start with this story and we realize that God's call on Saul's life has this tremendous upside. He gets this word privately from Samuel the prophet and then later in the chapter what we read about is that public affirmation. Not just in private did I get this word of God but then all the people were gathered and they saw that God is the one that's marking me out. As they cast the die one after another they take the tribe of Benjamin the clan of the Matrites, the family of Kish, the man of Saul, one after another, they go, God has marked this man out and he can't be stopped. The call of God on his life has this tremendous upside. And as we begin to pay attention to this mystery, it's important that we own up to this fact as well, that the the call of God on our lives has a similarly tremendous upside. You may, as we begin on this journey, on this detective adventure, be thinking, well, I'm not like Saul. You may think of yourself, I'm not the tallest, I'm not the best looking, I'm not the the wealthiest, I'm not the best educated, that's not me. And I just want us all to pay attention to this reality that today as a result of being situated on this side of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, if you have been knit into the family of God, the call on your life is grander even than the one on Saul's. Just as a, as a sampling, we could go a lot of different places, but let me just read these verses from 2 Peter chapter 1 over you. This is a statement of what is true of you in Jesus. It says this, His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. All the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse four says this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter says over the church that because of the promises and the blessings of God that are on our life, that we can partake in the divine nature and that we've got everything we need for this life. The word over your life, if you are in Jesus, is you have been adopted into the family of God, that you're royal. You are a prince or a princess in the eternal family of God and the great king of all is your father. And by the way, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything, which means whatever it is that's causing your anxiety and fear right now, he's already met that problem, that struggle. He has all of the provision to take you through it. And he has promised that he will. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And right now, as we speak, he's preparing an eternal home for you where there will be no sorrow and no tears and no sickness forever. He's given you everything. 
It says in Ephesians that he's gone before you to prepare good works for the day, which means while you're sleeping, he's working to prepare for you the day that you're gonna walk into. And so all of a sudden, as, as we situate ourselves in the word of God, we have to recognize this reality. There is a call of God on your life if you are in Jesus, and the upside is tremendous. Imagine with me that every morn, Monday morning when your alarm goes off, you wake up to the real, realization that there's someone sitting at the foot of the bed. He's wearing a long robe, white hair, beard, leathery face. He says, good morning. I've come from God. I've come to tell you that he is very affectionate towards you. The God of the universe, he speaks worlds into existence. He knows your name. He knows what today holds. He has given you the provision for today. And then he comes nearer to you and he takes a flask off of his belt and he starts pouring oil over your head. You feel it running down. And he says, he has given you all that you need for life and godliness. It's yours. You see, there's not a prophet at the end of our bed, but the word of God sits beside it and it says the very same thing. It is just as true for you as it was King Saul, for King Saul. The upside of his call on your life is stunning. Yet I don't know about you, I often do not wake up and bound out of bed in the affection of God. I don't know about you, but oftentimes while I'm brushing my teeth, the cares of the day start to come crashing in on me. Before I've even left my room, I'm standing there thinking about the email that I forgot to return and the really hard meeting at two o'clock today with the, the difficult thing that I need to say and the struggle at home with the child and the, the fight that I had with my wife that I really wanna make right and all of a sudden I'm going, it just feels kinda heavy. And by the time I finish brushing my teeth and I walk out, I've got the stooped shoulders and I come out like this. And the, and the question is, how is it that we are a people that have this call of God on our lives, yet we struggle to live in it? How is it that we, like Saul, oftentimes have our potential slipping through our fingers like sand? You see, there is this call of God that has a tremendous upside, but the second thing we see in the story of Saul is this. Our doubts are an inward spiral. Here's this call of God from the outside saying, here is this upside, come with me on this journey. But inside we tell ourselves a story that causes an inward spiral. We see it in Saul's story in that when he first met Samuel in the previous chapter, in chapter nine and verse 21, Samuel came to him and he told him that God had great things for him. And Saul's immediately, immediate response at this introduction to Samuel in verse 21 was this. Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite? from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then are you speaking to me in this way? Saul is rehearsing an internal monologue that is his self-doubt. It is his insecurity. And if we were just reading straight through the Bible, we would understand why he's so insecure. About eight pages previous, as the book of Judges wrapped up, which is the last thing historically that happened before this scene, the tribe of Benjamin and a town called Gibeah, Saul's hometown, 
did one of the most atrocious things in the history of Israel. A Levite had come to town with his concubine, the woman that he loves. He had sought safe haven and stayed in a home and all the men of this small town, Gibeah, Saul was probably a boy at the time and these men were probably family members. They went and they started beating on the door of that house and saying, send out your concubine that we might know her, speaking sexually. And that night she was sent out and she died because of the rough sexual treatment she received from that horde of men. It caused such unrest across the nation that 11 tribes lined up against Benjamin and said, Benjamin must pay. There was civil war in Israel because of this town and these people. Bloodshed, Israelite against Israelite. One of the great moments of unrest for the nation. And Saul says, that was my family. That was my town. I think you've got the wrong guy. In some ways, we understand his insecurity. We understand his narrative because what he is doing is he's telling the story of his shame and his guilt and his background. And he's going, God can't do anything great with me. Not me. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know my story. And the truth is, don't we all have similar internal monologues? That God's going, I've got this great thing for you today. I've prepared it for you and I've poured out my blessings on you. My spirit is in you and there's nothing that you can't accomplish it with me in your corner. We can do great things and we say, no, no, you don't know my story. You don't know about the broken marriage from my past, the sin of my childhood, the decision I made 20 years ago that still wants to tell my story. We, like Saul, wear our stains like a cloak and we say, this story will always tell my story. You see, our doubts become an inward spiral in response to God's call that has this tremendous upside. In the, in the medical comedy television show called Scrubs, there's a character named Elliot Reed. If you've seen the show, you know Elliot. She's this beautiful young blonde doctor. And part of the comedy is that this beautiful young doctor that has everything going for her is just so self-conscious. She's always so aware of her own flaws. And in one poignant scene, she makes this comment to one of her fellow doctors. She says, when are you finally going to realize that underneath the shell of every woman that you know, whether she's 16 or 60, as just a self-conscious, scared teenage girl. And it was that moment as those words, that they, they rang true, not just of women, but it was one of those awareness pieces for me. Isn't that true that we're, we're all in some ways still the self-conscious 14-year-old that lingers somewhere in our past? Reminded of the film Inside Out, uh, the Pixar film where the emotions are fighting for the controls of this little girl as she goes through major transition in her life. And, she enters a new school and there's this amazing scene as she's walking into the new school building and fear is shown in her mind and he grabs the controls. And as he grabs the controls, what runs through her head is this, did you see the way they're looking at me? They don't want me here. And I realized I spent years as a youth pastor having these events with high school students and I'd talk to them and one of the most constant refrains that I got from all of them was, those people don't want me here. But they were all saying it about each other. We carry this narrative that we just don't have enough. We're not tall enough, good enough, good looking enough, rich enough. We don't have enough. We're just not enough. 
And we, like Saul, rehearse the story such that when the word of God with its tremendous upside is spoken over us, we go, not me. I'm not sure that you've got the right guy. I'm not sure that you've got the right girl. I remember when I moved to Boston to finish my my master's degree, I left a place where I had kind of built a certain reputation that I drew a lot of identity from, people who knew me. And all of a sudden I was living in a place far away. Nobody knew me or cared about what I had done. And I realized that that 14 year old was kind of called back into existence. I realized that when I went to the bank and I was supposed to change my bank account information over and I was pacing out front, looking through the window back and forth. And I was like, what am I doing? What am I? And I realized I'm terrified to go in and talk to the bank teller because I just felt so exposed. I just felt so self-conscious. And I realized that I had allowed my identity to be saturated in something that could be taken away with one move, the one change of my circumstances or my geography. My doubt, my self-conscious thought patterns was an inward spiral that was robbing me of the call of God. Do, do you feel it? It's a, it's a diverging path for us. As we're paying attention to the clues, rooting around in the story that is Saul's life, here we are at this point of decision. There is this path that says, here is God's call of your life and it's got this tremendous upside, but then this direction, this is the direction of your self-conscious doubts, the things that you spin on and tell yourself. And down this path is squandered potential. Down this path is all that God has entrusted to you slipping through your fingers like sand. So there's a decision to be made. There's a response that's required. And the question is, which are you gonna believe? If you want to squander the potential of God in your life, be self-conscious. Think about yourself all day long. I promise you, it will firmly put you on the path towards squandering your potential. You see, Saul was hiding in the luggage. It was the moment of his great reveal In verses 20 to 24, he already knew that it was a case. He was anointed of God. And it's told in this simultaneously humorous and sad way. They cast the lot, they cast the lot. It's Saul, Saul's the guy. And the moment comes and they go, maybe we got it wrong. Where is he? Let's ask God. And they say, God, is there someone else? And God says, behold, he's behind the bags. (laughs) And here's Saul. Saul's the biggest guy in Israel trying to hide behind a piece of luggage. He's he's crouched down and they're like, we can see you, you're huge. Come here. And all of a sudden Saul stands up and they see him broad and tall and bigger than everyone. And they say, behold your king. Simultaneously humorous in its absurdity and so sad that the man who is anointed of God and has the word of God reigning over his life is quaking in the luggage. You see, he had rehearsed his self-conscious narrative and it had led to cowardice and hiding. Ours does the same. If we choose this path, it's gonna look a lot like procrastination or overwork. It's either gonna be hiding from the tough decisions and the tough conversations because we've told ourselves, I don't have what it takes today. 
We walk into our days already defeated and hiding and quaking in fear, whatever it is. When the kids start acting up again, we wanna just hit eject rather than wading in with faithful and godly discipline because we just think it's always gonna be like this. We start rehearsing this narrative of our doubt and our self-consciousness and we just wanna be done with it. It looks like procrastination. It looks like stepping away from our responsibilities or it looks like overwork. It's the one that stands up and says, I'm gonna prove to myself and to everyone that I do have what it takes. And so we work ourselves to the bone trying to prove that this narrative isn't true of us. And as a result, we live in this inward spiral of our own doubt and self-conscious thought. Then there's this other path. This is the one that I would call being God-saturated, believing God's call over your doubts. You see, we get a little glimmer of hope in the next king. That King Saul gets anointed and in the next chapter, he's hiding in the bags. King David, the next king, gets anointed and in the next chapter, he topples a giant. The difference is this, is he's not taller, he's not wealthier, he's not better looking than everyone, he just believes God. He goes to the front lines and he hears Goliath talking about God and demoralizing and demeaning the name of Yahweh. And he says, no, 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 you cannot talk about my God like that. And he just received the anointing of God and says, you will surely be the king. And so he knows he can't kill me. I'm untouchable. Send me out there. He believed God. And as a result, he walked in power and in victory. And the truth is, he is just a a foretaste and appetizer to the great and anointed king of the future, King Jesus. And when he steps onto the scene, what we see is that on the night before he went to the cross, he stared into the the abyss of self-doubt. He and the father had hatched a plan before eternity started that would involve him going to a cross. But on that night, as he stood in Gethsemane, he said, could there be another way? God, I don't know. It's gotta be something else. But in that moment, he chose this path of like he always did as the faithful son fulfilling all of the righteousness that we couldn't fulfill. He chose to believe God in that moment. He believed God's call over his life, even though it was gonna cost him everything. And as he went to the cross and bled and died, he was bleeding and dying from my cowardice and yours. All of that self-doubt that we tell ourselves over and over again, he said, put that on me. I'm going to walk this faithful path that none of you could, but in so doing, I will bury your doubts. I will bury your weakness and your sin and your cowardice. I'm gonna put it in the ground once and for all and come with me. We're going somewhere better because this call of God on your life has a tremendous upside. I've got something glorious and good for you if you will set your eyes on me and come with me on this journey. You see, we have a glorious and anointed king that has come to protect us from wasting our potential to protect us from throwing it all away and saying, if you keep your eyes on me, I can take you to new and glorious heights. Reminded of Mark Twain saying that I think if he said, he said in typical Twain fashion, if your job is to eat a frog, I suggest you eat it early in the morning. And he said, and if your job is to eat two frogs, I suggest you eat the big one first. There is a Christian confidence that settles down into our bones when we realize that our king took all of that on himself to set us free. It starts to settle down into our bones and we can wake up each day and we receive that word of God over us, loved, resurrected, child and son and daughter of the king. 
And all of a sudden we with confidence can look into whatever the day holds and say, my God has already gone before me. With confidence, I'm going to live the God-saturated life that believes his call, not my doubts. See, the first step to squandering your potential is to to be self-conscious. Believe your doubts, believe your past, believe your stains, believe your guilt, believe your shame. But if we wanna go on this journey with Jesus, hear this word of freedom and life and joy. There is a better anointed king who has paid the price and said, come with me and walk in the call of God to these glorious heights. Let's be a God-saturated people that believes his call over our doubts. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, would you forgive me? Forgive me even in this moment of caring more about what these fine people think about me than what you have said to be true of me. I pray that for everyone who stands on this stage and has these lights shine on them, for each preacher, for each worship leader, God, that there would be an awareness that it is not the eyes of men that make us. And I pray that for each man and woman in this place that we would become more fascinated with your word about us than others' opinions of us. And I pray that for any man, woman, or child in this space that has not trusted Jesus as their anointed king and their savior, that today they would hear beckoning the freedom and the fullness and the wholeness of being able to receive a better word over their life than their own doubt and shame and guilt. God, that we would be a people that run to Jesus and trust him and his completed work to be our king and to set us free to new heights. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Would you be the king over our hearts and our lives and our stories for your glory, for our joy. Make us a God-saturated people that believe your call over our doubts. Amen and amen. amen.